And before I start, I'd like to say that at least once a year, we like to teach on giving, on money. And it's a topic that's addressed quite often in the Bible and the New Testament. And it's something that Jesus actually talked a lot about. And I want to make it clear before we go into this that we're not teaching on giving because we need you to give more. We're not talking about giving because the church is hurting for money. Which is fine. Right? The reason why we're talking about giving is because it's an important window into your own heart. And so whether you can give a dollar a month to the church or $10,000 a month, the amount really doesn't matter. What matters is your heart. Okay? Okay, let's, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for our family, Lord, that we're gathered here together. Jesus, I pray that you would speak through Nidia and myself, Lord. I pray that your word would convict us, Father. But not only that it would convict us, Lord, that it would move us into action, Father. Help us to be a church of not only words, but of action, Father. A church of people that are running the race, Father. Together. And I pray that we would finish strong. Amen. So lately, I've been thinking a lot about culture. And I've been reading this book on white culture. And when you grow up in a white, middle-class neighborhood like myself, it's easy to think that you really don't have a culture. Right? And being part of this church, I've got to meet people that come from many different cultures. Like I've learned about the El Salvadorian culture. And I've learned about papusas. I never would have known that papusas exist unless I came to this church and met El Salvadorians. I've learned about the Mexican culture. I've learned that Mexicans, the Mexican culture, the concept of time is not as rigid as my culture. So when someone invites you to a birthday party and they say it starts at 4, if you show up at 4, they think you're weird. It means show up at 4.45. I never would have known that. And I've realized that my wife is actually part Mexican. Because we're always a half hour late to everything. But as I've been thinking through culture, I've thought about what are some of the core beliefs or values that have been imparted to me 
o sea, principales. Through my culture. ¿Y qué he yo What are those things that I believe that I haven't really thought about? Well, one thing that I could think of that's been imparted to me through my culture is this idea of the American dream. Has anyone here heard about the American dream? So how would you define the American dream? When you think of the word the American dream, what do you think of? This is the interactive part. What's that, Marie? A house. Two kids, a cat and a dog. What's that? Freedom. Anyone else? What's that? A white picket fence. Opportunity for your children. Yeah, successful career. So when I think of the American dream, and this idea that's been ingrained in me is, I think of the idea that really everyone should have the opportunity to achieve success, prosperity, and security, really through working hard. Right? And, and everything that you said is true. It's this idea that everyone could have a house, a car, two kids, a white picket fence, a retirement fund. The end goal of the American dream is success and prosperity. What does it look like to go against the American dream? I was in the park two weeks ago and Daisy, my five-year-old daughter, plays soccer. And I'm out watching the soccer game and a guy comes up to me. Trent, is that you? Hey, Andre, I haven't seen you in 25 years. It was one of my childhood friends. I go, what are you doing here in Lanark Park? He goes, well, I live in Encino and I'm dating a girl and her daughter's playing soccer here. Oh, that's great. He looks at me, he goes, what are you doing here? Well, my daughter's playing soccer here too. And then he asks the question, where are you living now? a little hesitant to respond. I go, oh, I live right there in that apartment building, right across the street from the park. And he bursts out. That is bizarre! It's like he couldn't control, and then he felt a little awkward. That's bizarre! It's so weird that you live right there. You have a good job, you make a lot of money. It doesn't make sense. And why was that bizarre to him? It's not the American dream. It doesn't make sense. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you combine 
the American dream with Christianity. Can you be a disciple of Jesus Christ and at the same time be striving for material success, prosperity, and trying to reach this place of security where I'm set for retirement, my kids' education is taken care of. Can you mix the two? Right? When I take when I take sugar, sugar is a good thing, and I take lemons. Right? Lemons are good, and I combine them. I get lemonade. I get something better. Do we get something better when we mix the pursuit of the American dream with Christianity? Deep down, many people do. There's thousands of people sitting in the pews across America this Sunday morning that are pursuing the American dream. At the same time, are Christians. Right? Do you know what one of the number one best-selling Christian self-help books is based on the New York Times bestseller all-time Christian books. Joel Olstein's Your Best Life Now. Right? And in Your Best Life Now, he talks about how God wants to increase you financially. God wants you to have nice material things. Right? Actually, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nowhere in the New Testament, if you were to read through the Bible, would you actually think that God wants to bless you materially for yourself? The only time God talks about you being blessed materially is so that you can take that blessing and give even more away. It's never for your own enjoyment. It doesn't talk about comfort. The Bible talks about suffering and difficulty and actually having contentment in any situation that you're in. Now, I think one of the clearest windows into somebody's heart is understanding how they spend the two things that are most valuable. One is your time. You have a limited amount of time. How do you spend your time? The other thing is how do you spend your money? What are you spending your money on? And what your heart values the most, there you will spend your money and that's what you're going to spend your time on. 
And in general, it's a sad picture for the American church. On average, for regular churchgoers, based on a re recent survey, only about 10% to 25% of people actually give regularly to go to church. Okay. If you three can stand up, Ashley, you're well. Alex, can you stand up? Okay, so on average, a church of our size, this is really the amount of people that give on a regular basis. On average, across America. Now, if you earn $50,000, you can say, sit down now. <laughs> These are the people who actually, no, just kidding. <laughs> Now, on average, if you earn $50,000 a year or more, 50, doesn't matter whether you're making $50,000 a year or $200,000 a year or a million dollars a year, and you are a regular giver, so you're within that group, you're going to give about 2% of your income. So, if you make $100,000 a year, on average, you give about $2,000 a year. Right? It's a little less than $200 a month. And the most interesting thing is that the highest givers, the income bracket that gives the most is a percentage of income, it's those making $10,500 a year who gives almost three times higher as a percentage of their income those making $75,000 a year. Dude, how does that make you feel? That is a sad picture of the American church. If every churchgoer gave just 10% of their income, we create $165 billion a year. The American church could end world hunger. Think about that. Now, deep down, if you actually read your Bible, and you have discretionary income, you have extra money, and you're at that 2% level and you barely give, and you continue to go to church every week, you can't help but to have 
a comfortable guilt. Right, a guilt that may not be too disturbing or motivating enough to actually increase your giving. But I would bet there's probably some low level of guilt there. Right, you read through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. He says, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Lay your treasures up in heaven, not here. Give out of your abundance. How do you reconcile Jesus' words with giving 2% a year? It doesn't make sense. And if you're in that place, you should question where your heart is. You should question, are you really a disciple of Jesus? Now, I grew up in a household where my dad talked about money all the time. He was always trying to make a lot of money, always trying different business ventures. He grew up in a house that had a lot of money. And so early on in my life, I internalized it. Right. I grew up with this desire to achieve security, prosperity, to be financially secure that was ingrained in me. And I didn't become a Christian until I was in college. And I was going to USC at the time. And I started going to church to this college group um, in Bel Air which is kind of in between USC and UCLA and I'm surrounded by college kids that are getting top quality educations college degrees they're getting the best jobs going out of college and their life was about the American dream and then adding this Christianity on top and it made sense to me right I could go to church on Sunday and I could praise the Lord and I could read my Bible and then I could be about pursuing this thing and so when I graduated college I thought what's the best job I can get coming out of USC marketing wasn't for me too abstract so I thought accounting I could get a really good job at accounting I could work really hard and I could get promoted and in 15 years I can become a partner I can make a lot of money and I could finally have that security. And I, and I remember, I mean, the first 
five years of my marriage working six days a week coming home late every day and my daughter Naomi who was five at the time she was angry with me like those days when I'd be home on the weekends with her she didn't want to have a lot to do with me and you can't get that back and I'm sorry for that and I had this low grade level of guilt right there was something in me where I felt like I don't know if this is 100% right but everyone else is doing it all of my friends from college are pursuing this goal of financial security and it sort of makes sense right in the in the white evangelical church right to go for the career to improve your life and I remember going to Cornerstone and Francis Chan talking about sacrificial giving and what that looks like and that would just bother me inside because I knew I wasn't doing it you see you can't have your heart set on wealth and pursue the American dream at the same time you have to pick you have to pick one or the other recently I was meeting with Mark and Nima and we're reading through the Gospel of Luke when we meet together and you know two weeks ago we were just in, in Luke chapter 16 and we were reading the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and it came to me you know as I'm thinking through these things this is the picture of somebody who's achieved the American dream this is somebody who has success security he's living behind the gates somebody who had it all and so we're going to read this parable together but first let me give you some background so right before Jesus shares this parable he's talking and he's sharing this parable to the Pharisees right these were the religious leaders of the time and Jesus says that the Pharisees were lovers of money right he's sharing this story with people who love money and he's trying to give them insight into their own hearts now the Pharisees weren't extravagantly wealthy right they probably would have been the equivalent to the middle class or the upper middle class of today okay so this parable applies not only to the super wealthy it applies to the middle class it applies to really anybody whose heart is set on riches 
So I'm going to read the parable first in English and then Nidia is going to read it in, in Spanish. Once there was a rich man. He was dressed in purple cloth and fine linen. He lived an e easy life every day. A man named Lazarus was placed at his gate. Lazarus was a, was a beggar. His body was covered with sores. Even dogs came and licked his sores. All he wanted was to eat what fell from the rich man's table. The time came when the beggar died. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In the place of the dead, the rich man was suffering terribly. He looked up and saw Abraham far away. Lazarus was by his side. So the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water that he can cool my tongue with it. I'm in terrible pain in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember what happened in your lifetime? You received your good things. Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here. And you are in terrible pain. Besides, a wide space has been placed between us and you so that those who want to go from here to you can't go. And no one can cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family. I have five brothers. Let Lazarus warn them. Then they will not come to this place of terrible suffering. Abraham replied, They have the teachings of Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will turn from their sins. Abraham said to him, They do not listen to Moses and the prophets, so they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, let me share some observations here. So, we see a picture of a man who's extremely rich. Right? It says that he was dressed in purple. So, purple was a sign of royalty. It says that he was dressed in fine linen. Right, and that fine linen that they're referring to, most commentaries would say it was probably Egyptian linen. And the Egyptian linen was so expensive, it was worth, literally worth its weight in gold. And the only other thing we know about the man's life is that it says he lived an easy life every day. Right? So he was in this position of comfort. He was living a comfortable life. Contrast that with Lazarus. His life wasn't so comfortable, was it? Even the dogs were licking his sores. Now, on the outside, right, as Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees, they would have looked at this rich man and they would have thought, this is a man who has God's favor. He's been blessed by God. He has fine linen. He's wearing purple robes. 
He's a man who knew the scriptures. Right? He called out to Father Abraham when he was in Hades. And it, assuming he was following the Mosaic law, he's probably a man who gave on average around one third of his income to Israel. He was a tither. He was living the American dream. And it would have appeared like he was following God. And not only that he was following God, that he had God's favor. So what went wrong here? What went wrong? How is it that he was living a comfortable life in this world and now he's in this place of extreme agony and suffering? The word suffering. Some translations translate it as torment in verse 22 when they say he's in the place of the dead. The rich man was suffering terribly. That word suffering in the Greek is basanos. And the literal meaning of that word is this picture of somebody being placed on a rack or an instrument of torture where your limbs are being stretched apart where you're being forced to divulge the truth. You see, he probably lived a life of low-grade guilt. But in the end, the truth is going to come out. And it's so interesting to me that there's only one single sentence about the man's life in this parable. Verse 19. Once there was a rich man he was dressed in purple cloth and fine linen. He lived an easy life every day. He didn't do anything wrong. What action did he do that was offensive to God? There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with wearing fine linen none of his actions were incriminating you see there are people where everything looks good on the outside they're living a comfortable life they go to church every Sunday. But once they are ushered into the presence of Jesus, they're going to say, I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you sending me to this place of torment and suffering? You see, I think about that rich man. 
And this parable says that this Lazarus was laid up by his gate. He was actually placed there. There was somebody who thought, man, Lazarus is in trouble. I'm going to place him by this rich man's gate. He's going to do something. He knows the law. He's going to help this rich man. And he passed by him every single day and did nothing it wasn't what he did do that was wrong it was what he didn't do it was his inaction it was his apathy it was the fact that he sat there lived a comfortable life and did nothing And he would have known what the prophets had said about caring for and helping the poor. Bonnie's been reading through the Old Testament and highlighting every place where God talks about or the prophets talk about caring for the poor. The verses are too many for me to share with you this Sunday, but I want to read one section of Scripture from one of the prophets, Isaiah, so you can see what God's heart was for the poor, so that you can actually see what was required of this rich man. You would turn with me to Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 6 through 12. It's a lot, but bear with me. Okay, it says, Here is the way I want you to fast. Set free those who are held by chains without any reason. Untie the ropes that hold people as slaves. Set free those who are crushed. Break every chain. Share your food with hungry people. Provide homeless people with a place to stay. Give naked people clothes to wear. Provide for the needs of your own family. Then the light of my blessing will shine on you like the rising sun. I will heal you quickly. I will march out ahead of you. My glory will follow behind you and guard you. That's because I always do what is right. I will call, you will call out to me for help and I will answer you. You will cry out and I will say, here I am. Get rid of the chains you use to hold others down. Stop pointing your finger at others as if they had done something wrong. Stop saying harmful things about them. Work hard to feed hungry people. Satisfy the needs of those who are crushed. Then my blessing will light up your darkness. And the night of your suffering will become as bright as a noonday sun. I will always guide you. I will satisfy your needs in a land baked by the sun. I will make you stronger. I will be like a garden that has plenty of water. You will be like a spring whose water never runs dry. Your people will rebuild the cities that were destroyed long ago and you will build again on the old foundations. God 
calls us to a faith of action. He doesn't say in Isaiah, when he says, here's the way I want you to fast, here's what I actually desire from you. Isaiah says, set free those who are held by chains. He doesn't say, I want you to pray for those who are held by chains. He doesn't say, he says, set free those who are crushed. He doesn't say, pray for those who are crushed. He doesn't say, pray for people who don't have food who are hungry. No, no, no. He says, share your food with people who are hungry. He doesn't just say, pray for hungry people. No, he says, work hard so that you can feed hungry people. He calls us to action. And... This may sound harsh, but if you don't love the poor, if you don't love the orphan, if you don't love the widow, if you don't actually have a heart for the people that God has a heart for, I question if you're really a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you can come to church every Sunday, give 10% and feel good about yourself, that is not enough. And those giving statistics, it's true of our church too. It's about the same. Every pastor I talk to, it's about the same. There are those here that have good jobs, that have the ability to give, but barely give anything. And then there are those here who make $10,500 a year, who give three times, four times what you're giving. It doesn't make sense. It's all about your heart. And it's been a hard thing for me to come to terms with the idea you can't follow Christ and you can't be about the American dream because when you have wealth when you have a good job following Jesus requires you to give and not only give 10% but to give sacrificially And part of the reason why we decided to move move from more comfort to less comfort was because we wanted to see where our hearts were at. Are we really about following Jesus? Are we really deep down for our family? Are we about sacrificing now for this treasure that's going to be laid up for later? Or are we going to live for the now? And I'll be honest, sometimes it's a struggle for me to give, to give sacrificially because I think this could be going to the college fund. This could be going to the retirement fund. And the way you give really calls into question what do you really believe deep down?
Am I going to trust Jesus? Am I going to trust that I'm laying up treasures for a later life when I give more than what I'm comfortable in giving? And there are so few rich people that are willing to set aside the pursuit of the American dream. I hate cockroaches. I probably hate cockroaches more than anything else in this world. And we moved from our house in West Hills into the apartments off Lanark. We prayed for no cockroaches. And probably for the first year, we never saw a cockroach. But then on occasion, you know, I'd be in the bedroom and I'd start hearing screams. Ah! My wife has a cockroach alarm built, built into her. And when she sees a cockroach, she screams at the top of her lungs. So on occasion, you'd open up a drawer and there'd be a cockroach. And one day, you know, I was feeling sort of depressed and, and down. And I go in the kitchen, I go to open up the drawer. Ah! There's a cockroach. And it comes out of the drawer and it goes under the cabinet. And I thought, he's going to die. If I don't do anything else today, I'm going to kill this cockroach. So I get under the cabinet. I can't see anything. It's filled with pots and pans. I take out all the pots, all the pans. I get my can of Raid. And I look under the cabinet. And up high in the very back corner, I can see the cockroach. I think this is perfect. I'm going to kill him. I spray the cockroach. He drops dead. Then all of a sudden, two others drop dead that I didn't see. Then I get the raid, I sprayed in there. More cockroaches stop dropping dead. I sprayed in there, there's like moms carrying little egg sacks walking across the thing, and it's like, ah, the cockroaches, and I'm spraying the cockroaches. And in that moment, I thought, what am I doing? Why am I here? I should be about comfort. I want to give this all up. I want to put roots down in Calabasas and not deal with this. I struggle wanting to give up and not to continue. But why do I continue? Because I believe this is real. Because I believe that Jesus says when you want to lose your life, to lose, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. That's true. I believe that when Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here, store it up in heaven, where moths and cockroaches can't get to it, that's true. Do you believe that? Deep down, do you believe that? Or are you just going through the motions? 
And to you, Mana and Naomi and Karina, and this young lady over here. Yes, you. You guys are starting out your life. You're making decisions now that will impact the rest of your life. Don't make the same mistakes that I did. Make your life about following Jesus and Jesus alone. And don't leave here without examining your own heart. The worst thing that could happen is that you would have the fate of that rich man. Lazarus's name literally means God is my helper. God was his helper. Lazarus's name is written in the Bible. What was the name of the rich man? Can anyone tell me? Even his name has been wiped out for all eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word, Father. God, help us to take this to heart, Lord. God, if you've convicted anyone, Lord, if there's people here who are just going through the motions, who are barely giving, Father, who are not being sacrificial, I pray that you would show it to them in their heart, Father. Only you can change someone's heart, Father. God, please work through us. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to continue with one another, focusing on the prize, Father, which is you, Jesus. Amen. Sorry, just one quick point I wanted to make. I, got t- I was thinking about the cockroaches at the end, and I went by it. So. But we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're in a safe place. If you have enough money in the bank or you have enough financial security, the only true safe place to be in is when you're following Jesus 100%. When you're living a life where He is everything, that's the safest place to be. Amen. 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 Okay.